using the heat in my apartment for the first time. Is it because you finally got that gas leak fixed? I don't know why you have to take that tone, but yes, and but also actually no. Basically, we moved here, what, like six years ago? Mm-hmm. And at the time, everyone was like, oh, LA totally has seasons, you'll see. And we were like, we don't believe you. And if you live in a legitimately cold climate, you probably also don't believe us right now. But basically, when we first moved, it was constantly like 80 degrees in January. And we were like, what? This is not winter. Like, we'll never, ever need the heat in our homes. And then the drought kind of ended and LA started to actually have rain occasionally. Yes. And it was sometimes, quote, cold, which is to say like 50 or 60 degrees. Yes. But for the longest time, I felt it was a point of pride not to use my heat. But the thing I must impress upon listeners is that 50 or 60 degrees outside doesn't is not cold. Like, I would not categorize as cold. But because of the poor insulating of most of the apartment buildings, it is 50 or 60 degrees outdoors and indoors. So last winter, I was literally living the life I used to live in our apartment in Boston, where I would be wearing, like, oh, our apartment in Boston, where we did have heat, but I lived in a bedroom that was very poorly insulated. It was a bit drafty. Yes, although we also realized that we had accidentally left one of our living room windows open for half the winter one year. Yes, yes. So I feel like listeners are getting the impression that we're not very bright. (laughs) I think they could have gotten that from our regular chat. Anyway, last year I was living a return to Brighton life where I was constantly sleeping or existing in my home in two or three layers just to get through the day. And I kind of wanted to turn on the heat, but I was afraid to because I've lived in this place like two or three years now and I had never turned on the heat. So I didn't know if it worked. I didn't know if my house might burn down. Also, people kept coming into my home and being like, I think there might be a gas leak. (laughs) Anyway, so the gas company finally came and indeed there was something broken and it was arguably harmless unless I held an open flame near it. But nonetheless, I'm glad to have it fixed and to be able to use my heat. Is it nice now? Are you warm? I'm actually slightly too warm right now, but I feel like I don't want to leave again to turn the heat down. Well, I'm glad you're warm though. I too am glad, but then I remember that I hate being warm. So here we are. Welcome to Romcomathon. I'm Kat. And I'm Alex. And today we're here to talk about the new Netflix movie, The Night Before Christmas, a brand new entry into the cinematic universe of Netflix Christmas films. I feel it's important to note that we were not originally going to do this film. We had already sort of slated out our holiday season, the centerpiece of which we thought would be Royal Baby. However, then this trailer came out and Alex texted me, our work is cut out for us. And I was like, (laughs) I guess we have to watch this film now, regretfully. We had to. We couldn't not do it. The time traveling night situation was just, it was just too much. Like I couldn't let this go. Before I summarize the plot, let me just commend this film on its strong branding, because as soon as you see that title, you know exactly what this film is about. The Knight Before Christmas tells me 100% what movie I am about to watch. He is a knight, and it's before Christmas. It's very accurate. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Do you want to summarize the film, perhaps? I don't, but I will. Vanessa Hudgens is a high school science teacher, which has basically no bearing on the plot. Oh my god, that was exactly what I was going to say when I thought I might summarize the film. (laughs) We're so alike. Indeed. 
Josh Whitehouse, whose name I had to look up on Wikipedia, is a knight from 1300s England. Something that you would not know from his behavior, but you would know from the caption. And one would think that these two people would never meet having lived hundreds of years apart, and you would be wrong. Josh Whitehouse apparently, or I should say Sir Josh Whitehouse, because he's very particular about his title, has a mysterious quest to fulfill, and he meets an old crone in the forest one day. He literally just calls her old crone, like she has no name, it's just old crone, old crone, <laughs> which I thought was a little rude, frankly. <laughs> I know, we were literally like, stop calling her old crone! <laughs> Maybe ask her her name, but no, she's old crone. She also seems thoroughly unoffended, even though he's literally like, so old crone, how's the weather? Old crone, what's my next task? Anyway, he meets old crone in the forest one day, and with the power of a mysterious amulet, she sends him to the future. Not just his future, our future, because this is December 2019. Ooh, what a twist. There he meets Vanessa Hudgens, and after a certain amount of shenanigans in which he doesn't know anything about technology, but is surprisingly unfazed by all the people of color, they fall in love. But then obviously it's like, oh, like I have to go home to see my brother's knighting or whatever, and he returns to his time, but then obviously realizes that his quest is to follow his heart, or I literally forget what it is, um, and be with Vanessa Hudgens, and he returns to the present. The end. I feel like anyone listening who hadn't even seen this movie could have just done that whole summary. I mean, it's so, it's so predictable. I wondered if I should include some of the shenanigans, but then I was like, viewers know, they can imagine. Also, it was difficult to think what to include from the shenanigans because this movie had like 18,000 characters. We met a lot of members of the community that I couldn't have cared less about. <laughs> As well as obviously like her obligatory family members and whatever. I must say that this man is, according to my wife, the best looking Netflix protagonist so far, male protagonist, because she truly hates how Richard looks in A Christmas Prince, which fair enough, his hairline is receding. He's bearing a resemblance to William. Like it's, it's fine. I want to agree with her, but I cannot remember the other protagonists. <laughs> I don't think they were they were super good looking, but while we were watching this- Ooh, ooh, disagree. Yes, disagree. You know who is attractive? Who? One of the men in the previous Vanessa Hudgens movie, The Princess Switch. Was it the friend or was it- Yes, the cute friend who doesn't want to be with her. (laughs) I only remember that the cute friend was cute. I don't actually remember if the cute friend was cuter than this guy- but The cute friend, well, they're both cute. I thought this guy was cute. He had dimples. He's blonde, which is generally not for me, but he was cute in like a shaggy, like fluffy way. I thought he was fine. He, yeah, he was like a puppy cute. He was a golden retriever. Yes. Yes, exactly. And then the other guy was, was he black? He was of color. He was of color. He was good looking. In he the was face. brownish. Yeah. He was good in the face. Yes, he was good in the face, although he did not care for her personality. Richard is not good in the face so much and not good in the personality either. So. <laughs> oh, Richard. But we can, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, I was very confused about what this guy, what was his name? Sir Cole, Sir Cole, about what this knight's like ultimate quest was. Like it was so nebulous and, and vague and weird. Like by the time we got to the end and she was like, you found your quest. I was like, I don't understand. 
Did they name his quest? Like, was I just not listening when they said it word for word? If you weren't listening, I also wasn't listening. Like, I think it had something to do with, like, true love or, like, I think you were right. It was something like follow your heart or true love or something like that. I think like it that. had to do with his heart. I think explicitly they said that. Yes. Like, early on. And then I think that I filled in the blank in my head and ceased to attend for all further facets of that plotline. I had a lot of questions about the true knight shtick in general, because not a shtick I was familiar with. They obviously introduced it for the purpose of this story. And I was just a bit like, if they're all as nebulous as things like following your heart or like finding true love, then it's a wonder that anyone becomes a true knight at all. Also, I'm pretty sure that a knight's duty is to like serve the king. So I don't know what good it is to the king for him to be off in the future with Vanessa Hudgens. I mean, there's nothing the king could clearly do about it. Like, sorry, Edward, like you're just gonna have to like keep on at it with his brother, who it looks like will be starring in the sequel. I know. I was like, is there a sequel? Clearly there's a sequel. Alex predicted like towards like the end, like in the nighting scene with the brother, like she was like, oh, the next one's gonna be about his brother. And I was like, the next one? I know. I know. Like, what could we possibly be forced to watch next? Will it take place all the way in 1300s? Because what are the odds that both brothers would have to time travel? Pretty good, because the old crone is after both of them. What's the crone's story? Is she their mom who was lost in the forest a la Into the Woods? I love that. It's very troubling. Do they think that she died in childbed, but actually she has taken up this life as a crone? I too would opt for crone life over like normal 1300 life as a lady, so. Speaking of life in the 1300s, some concerns I had. First of all, if any readers are scholars of 1300s England, please let us know, would this man know any people of color who were not perhaps non-English speaking and or enslaved? When were the Crusades? 1100s maybe? Yeah, because I was like, surely he would get to like modern day America and be like, ah, the Moors. I was very surprised by his lack of reaction, but then not surprised because it was like basically a Hallmark movie, you know? But relatedly, are we pretending that Vanessa Hudgens is white as we so often like to pretend J-Lo is? I don't know. It was unclear to me what ethnicity V. Hudge was supposed to be in this movie, as it is apparently confusing to many producers and casting directors. I don't know. She's played many different ethnicities, I feel like. Her name was Brooke Winters, and her sister was named Madison, which feels deliberately unethnic to me, although very seasonal. But her sister could have also been ethnic. But that's what I'm saying. I was like, was her sister of color? Were we kind of pretending they were both, I don't know, Italian or something? Um, (laughs) The child was also somewhat ambiguous. And then was dad Asian? Was dad half Asian? I don't know. I was like, is dad Latino? Is dad Filipino? I I don't really know what dad was. Dad was clearly of color. Yes. Her brother-in-law was definitely some variety of, I think, Asian. But I could could have been wrong. I went to Google it, but the moments passed. Um, Yeah, no, it was definitely unclear, like, what ethnicity Vanessa Hudson was supposed to be. But in any case, I feel like an actual knight from the 1300s would at least come and be like, Spanish, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Also, he kept being like, this steel dragon. Do they think dragons are real in 1300s England? I do think they thought dragons were real because they were all really like there were a lot of things that they thought were clearly real during that time. So I think dragons was amongst them. Because they mentioned dragons several times and I was like, my. There's like St. George and the dragon and like things like that. So I think they did think dragons were real. 
Okay, I have a couple of linguistic quibbles as well. He takes very quickly to some language stuff, but also he uses whence incorrectly. He and Vanessa Hudgens both say halfpenny. And he uses the word pickpocket, which, according to the internet, was not a thing until the late 1500s. I mean, he was also real keen to take a shower when he, at most, he would have, like, bathed, like, twice a year, so... Indeed, I was like, these are some very clean 1300s English people. Like, they would have thought he was a witch. (laughs) I mean, look, look, whoever wrote this was like, yes, I'm gonna take an afternoon and bang this out, and then they did no research and banged out the movie and we're like, yes, I'm getting a check from Netflix. I guess it's not unbelievable to me also that there was no one on set who was familiar with hay pennies. I I don't think anyone gave a shit. Wait, but here's a question though. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that in this world, history has taken different turns? Because Aldovia apparently exists. Oh yes, you make a good point. I mean, that's fair, but I still don't think this would have hastened the arrival of the Christmas tree by like 500 years because Christmas trees didn't come into existence in England until the reign of Queen Victoria because they were a thing in Germany. Like she kind of brought them over because of her husband, but then- Wait, but no, go on, sorry. But then he was so like keen to be like, oh, I'll show you a real tree and was like really into the idea of like getting an actual Christmas tree. It was just like so weird to me because I was like, you barely celebrate Christmas. It's like Yule for you. You burn a log. Let me pose a theory. In Europe, in this universe, perhaps there was a Christmas crusade of some kind because in Aldovia, Christmas is clearly the center, not only of their church, but of their state. Yes, it is. uh, Aldovia is like the head of the Christmas cult. Indeed. Listeners, let's go back and explain. At one point, I was watching the film and questioning, like, what are the consequences if he doesn't fulfill this quest? Why is this quest? It was definitely a thing where they were like, oh, he has to fulfill it by midnight Christmas Eve. And I was like, why midnight Christmas Eve? And then I was just joking, like, is this in Aldovia? And then literally like a scene later, they were with her niece and Vanessa Hudgens' sister gave her niece like an acorn ornament. And if anyone hasn't seen The Christmas Prince, acorn ornaments are significant in that universe. And she says like, your grandma and grandpa picked this up on their trip to Aldovia, the fictional country in that movie. And I was like, I'm dying. I screamed. We had to pause the movie so I could scream. (laughs) It's the same universe, guys. But- But, 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 not the same universe as the Princess Switch, where they're watching A Christmas Prince on TV. But that makes sense, because obviously Vanessa Hudgens can't be three people in the same universe. Yes. So they clearly made the choice. Like, Netflix was like, we're making the decision that the night before Christmas and A Christmas Prince exist in the same cinematic universe, but not the Princess Switch, because that's when she goes to another fictional European country. Oh my god, you're right. She does to attend a bake-off competition. But here's the thing. If the Christmas Prince exists as a movie in The Princess Switch, that means this must also exist as a movie in that universe. So let's just now imagine a future like holiday party where Vanessa's Hudgens 1 and 2 from The Princess Switch hang out and watch Vanessa Hudgens number 3 in this movie. That's excellent. I really do enjoy that. I mean, they watched a number of Netflix holiday films in this universe. They watched that new Rob Lowe Africa Netflix rom-com, which I will be watching with Alex. They, I think, also put on Wait, what something is this? Else. 
Oh, did you not know about this? So it's no! an, so it's an older one. Rob Lowe is in it. And it's like with this like divorcee essentially, who was like supposed to go on a second honeymoon with her husband. Is it Kristen Davis? Yes, I think so. Oh my God. Because when we saw that, I was like, what? And we were like, oh, this must also be owned by Netflix. And then I was like, but they're older. It's really like it's a new thing. Yeah. So she's like a divorcee. She's supposed to like be going to on safari with her husband for their second honeymoon, but then he like divorces her or whatever. So she's there alone. And she meets Rob Lowe, who is a safari guide. She oh, finds no. she finds like the only white man in the bush, essentially. And then they go <laughs> so on safari. Upset. And then they spend like Christmas in this like elephant rehabilitation center where there are black people. And Alex was like, that man is South African. That man is South African. Okay, when you, as soon as you said Rob Lowe Africa movie, though, I was like, oh, crap. I know. (laughs) I know, but we're going to, I think we're going to watch it because I need to see those baby elephants. Oh. I'll let you know how it is. sad. I don't need you to let me know how it is. I already know how it is based (laughs) on your description. Wow. Wow. How (laughs) dare you? Anyway, apparently uh, the Knight enjoyed it a lot in this Well. Television was new to him, so, you know, standards are low. Yes, they also watched that holiday Magic Calendar movie from last year. Oh, God, that movie was awful. And indeed, that male protagonist was not as attractive as this one. So that's two Christmas Netflix things they watched here. So we can safely assume that the holiday calendar and that Rob Lowe Christmas film are not part of the same cinematic universe as The Night Before Christmas. I just like everyone to picture for a second the Russian doll cinematic universes that like this is happening because it's like those are movies to these people but these people are movies to the princess switch people who are already movies to us i think i have to make a graphic i think we'll have to make a graphic don't you as like i do i do think so i i just think that that's important for listeners to understand yeah and in the future when like more netflix christmas films come out i need to know how they fall yes we will create a flow chart and keep you all posted yes Can we talk about the fact that A, Vanessa Hudgens, a science teacher, is quite quick to accept time travel, and B- She's so unfazed. (laughs) Um, She's also unfazed later when she like literally kind of sees the ball of smoke that he disappears or reappears in, and it's just like, okay, cool, and goes on with her life. Yeah, she's like momentarily like, this seems weird, and then she's like, who am I to say what's weird? And I was like, you are a remarkably unjudgmental person. Good on you. But also, I feel like we could all agree that maybe we could be a little more judgmental about this situation, like this specific situation we could judge. Relatedly, she was cheated on by her ex, and thus has trust issues, and also probably has some issues from both her parents being dead, which we haven't even gotten into and yet she's like oh strange man who claims to be a time traveler stay in my home borrow my car and you're like "Ah, ah." yeah i don't know why she lent that man her car i was literally like she's letting him drive she's like do you know how and he's like yeah yeah totally and then she literally sees him drive and yet still lets him take the car yeah her reactions were (laughs) (laughs) i i must say though (laughs) He's driving pretty well for someone who's never driven before. No, I I was like remarkably well for someone who has like never even seen a car or anything close to a car. Very impressive. I kind of think that if he were living in modern times, he would be a genius because he really grasps all the technology very quickly. Yeah. And he's like, this is fine. Like, he's not like, this is witchcraft. I'm going to spear you through with my sword, which is what I would have done to Alexa. 
I know. Like, at first, and truly, this is one of my favorite lines. He's, like, struggling with her, and then she finds that he's put Alexa in the freezer, and he says, I could not make her stop, so I banished her to the night air. But then, like, half an hour later, he's, like, mastered the use of Alexa. Maybe it's because he's used to having servants. Oh, maybe he just thinks that this is a very unusual servant. Yeah. He's quite unfazed by electricity as well while we're here. Yes, very unfazed by electricity. The thing he seems most phased by is in fact the radio and is also (laughs) the thing that she seems most confused by, like that he doesn't know. She's like, you don't know this? And I'm like, he also didn't know a car, but like, I I don't know why we're choosing this. Yes, he's flummoxed by the music coming from non-minstrels. Yes. But apparently not about, I don't know, the whole Christmas like setup. He was like so quick to accept this Father Christmas situation where I'm like, this was not a thing in 1300s England. The more we talk about it, the more I'm astonished how little research was done while making this film. It was almost as if it was like on purpose. Like, I feel like my passing knowledge of medieval history is more than this person's grasp of it at having written this film. Yes, let's be clear. We're not scholars of 1300s England. Like, our knowledge is coming from, like, other Boleyn girl type sources. Yeah, and we still know more. Well, enough to suspect that a knight from 1300s England would not want to shower. I also think 1300s English was quite different. Yes, he's very quick to grasp modern slang. Language, like, Ohio, the concept of Ohio. I'm sticking with the theory that this universe has a different European history. I feel, now that you bring up this Father Christmas thing, that my Christmas Crusades theory is very plausible. I really think that this Aldovian-led Christmas cult was a big thing in Europe. It must have been, because they're all obsessed with Christmas. And then perhaps they met at a summit, obviously on Christmas, possibly in Aldovia, and maybe the Moors taught everyone to bathe. Maybe, maybe they're just like a very clean European society because they had like more contact with the um, other cultures. Yeah, yeah. The Ottoman Empire, perhaps they bathed. I was going to say maybe also that's why he's so unfazed by the remarkable diversity of this Ohio town. Yeah, maybe in this time, like in this universe, like medieval Europe was more diverse. I love that, actually. I love that. Let's go with that. Interested to contemplate the trickle-down effects of maybe less racism. Yeah, that could be interesting. I mean, like, I feel like that would fit in with the multicolored, hallmarky tone of these films. Yes, I was charmed by that older interracial couple. <laughs> yes, I thought that was very cute as well. They they stuffed so much into this film. They had, like, a whole thing with Vanessa Hudgens' niece, who I thought was a little too old to believe in Santa, but okay. They had that thing with the man who had, like, lost his wife and, like, needed charity from the town. His poor children, yes. Yes. No, the poor man with the four children, which I was like, wow, okay. Yes, and in the end, they, like, raise a bunch of money for him and they give it to him, which I thought was a little embarrassing for him. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but it's nice. I feel like maybe he is not too fixated on societal ideas of masculinity. And that's nice. I think it was nice that they raised the money for him. I thought that them like handing over that envelope like in the middle of all those people. I was like, this seems like a bit much, but okay. Well, a lot of things were a bit much. Like I was like, what was the point of this nosy neighbor? 
Oh, uh, the one who was like wanted to hit on him, but then became encouraging of their relationship. I was like, is she a villain? Is she a friend? Why is she here? Oh, yes. There was a nosy, Vanessa Hudgens has like a nosy neighbor who's like a big flirt. And essentially Vanessa Hudgens implies that she was a huge slut in high school. <laughs> like that was the implication. And then at the end, she comes to like hit on Sir Cole and then realizes that he's like not into it. And it's like, oh, you should follow your heart and like tell her or whatever. Quite a turnaround for this neighbor. Yeah, wise words for someone who came bearing mistletoe. <laughs> Wait, did she really, did she bring her own? Yes, she brought her own DIY mistletoe. She brought her own mistletoe to like that little, at the end at the charity dinner where he's like taking photos with kids. Like she literally brings up the mistletoe and is like, do you know what this is? Oh God, BYOM. I also had some some questions about Vanessa Hudgens' house, right? Like she obviously inherited it from her parents who were apparently loaded. <laughs> Did her sister also inherit a house? Or No, because her sister was married. So, you know, Already. Vanessa, yes, Vanessa Hudson, Hudgens being a spinster gets the house. <laughs> being a spinster at the age of, I don't even know how old she is, maybe 30 tops. I know, but she's like so bitter about her like singledom that she's taking it out on her poor student. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, but here's the thing. First, she tells this poor kid, both of them terrible actors, by the way, at the beginning that men are garbage. And then at the end of the movie, she's like, I was wrong. You should follow your heart. True love is important, more so maybe than your academic goals. And I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm barely paraphrasing. And I was livid. At the end, she does say like, your goals are still important. But I was like, this child is like 17. Her goals are more important than her high school boyfriend. I was like, are you telling her to get back together with the guy that dumped her at the beginning of the movie that she just told you she was over and she was going to focus on her goals? Yeah, she's not a good adult role model. My worst scene for sure. Anyway, so like going back to V. Hudge's house situation, she has this like massive house, which she has clearly gone all out to decorate for Christmas. I'm very impressed with her because this whole thing is like if a Martha Stewart type had come in and just like literally christmas every spare inch of the house. There were like Christmas themed candle holders. There was boughs um, like coming off the staircase, the mantle, like let's not even go into it. And then not only did she decorate the house, she also found time to decorate the guest house where she places the night to stay. And I was like very impressed. She has a guest house? I totally missed this somehow. Yes, that's why she like takes him in is because she's like, I have a guest house. Oh, I fully thought that guest house was a house. No, she should Airbnb that guest house and like make some cash on the side. Although God knows who wants to go to Bracebridge, Ohio, but. Huh. Well, I guess she has a lot of time to decorate because she's so bitter and alone. I would just like to bring up that as this movie is in our future, I wish that they had been like watching the impeachment proceedings or the news. I feel like that would have been helpful to us, but it's fine. That would have been that would have been nice. Although I guess he would have had a lot more questions. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with your king? Why is his face <laughs> like that? Oh no. Um gout? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, more thoughts or best and worsts? Yeah, best and worsts. What are what are some of your favorite lines or scenes or whatever? I felt that every time he said old crone <laughs> brought me some joy. I enjoyed I'll take shelter under a tree for the night as if he were a forager. I don't know. And then obviously the Alexa line that I mentioned. I could not make her stop, so I banished her to the night air. And I also thought the scene where they fall asleep on the couch together watching TV was kind of cute. Okay, sure. I had no feelings about them, so. 
That was, I think that was the only like half moment where I was like, yeah, okay. Everyone in this movie was a very bad actor. My favorite line was the Aldovian line. Like I literally had to pause the movie so I could yell. <laughs> I was like, what? It was amazing. Probably up there with some of the Marvel twists I've seen. <laughs> Worst? I think there were some some lines towards the end. I don't know what this line was. What's the best thing under every Christmas tree? Love. I think that oh, was from one of the poor no. children at the charity dinner. Yeah. Well, I've already told you what my worst scene is. My second worst scene is probably when the children are lost on what I thought was a cliff from the trailer, but I realized later was Ayas. The worst line for me was, never were there four little words that managed to wrap my weary heart into a warm blanket. <laughs> I had to pause the film so that I could be sure that I transcribed it word for word. What? When was that? One of them, I think him, said it to the other. She said, I believe in you, Cole, which just to be clear is five words, but it's fine. And he said that. And I wished I could drown myself. And I was horrified by David's four young children, but it's it's okay. I forgot to tell you one of my favorite things, one of my favorite lines. Oh, please. It was at the end of the charity dinner and everything's a mess and her sister comes up to her like holding her kid and she says, we'd love to help you clean up, but we have to get this little one to bed. And I was like, this is the best excuse of anything. Like, look around you, lady. There's like shit everywhere. And she's just like, we'd love to help you clean up, but we gotta get this little one to bed. Sorry, can't do it. Peace out. And I was like, amazing. When we have a kid, I will be using this excuse all the time. Sorry, would love to help you clean up, but just gotta get this one to bed. Also, the child's already asleep, so like they could easily just like leave her on a bench, but it's fine. Also, the child is like eight. Like she's not <laughs> so small that this is, it's like. <laughs> also, like one of you could stay. It was just like so, so transparently just like, we don't want to fucking help you. So Vanessa Hudgens, her parents, I think like maybe her mom died of cancer. And then her dad followed. Like shortly after, which shouldn't be funny, but kind of is because I feel like in these Netflix movies, it's very common to have one dead parent that you miss at Christmas, but remarkable to have two. And then she does this feast, I guess, to remember them. But like, is it just her? Does her sister not help? What's the deal? Yeah, I don't know. I got the idea that her parents like participated in this dinner and like helped organize it. And so she was carrying on their legacy. But I was like, is this actually medieval England? Like her sister married a man. And so now she's out of the family. <laughs> Vanessa gets the house. She's in charge of the feast. Jesus. Although both sisters seem equally dedicated to Christmas decor. Although I must say Vanessa Hudgens' white Christmas tree did not delight me. No, it was ugly. And also then they get a dog for the kid, which it's totally unclear whether Santa actually brought that dog or if Vanessa Hudgens is lying when she says she knew nothing about it. Oh yeah, like that puppy, did it come via magical means? Like who knows? Well, Vanessa Hudgens' deadpan acting makes it very hard to tell what is happening. Well, to be fair, Vanessa Hudgens in this film also had like no distinct personality at all, so... Indeed, it could be the script's fault. We were trying to predict the name of the dog, and... It was Miracle. Okay, because I think we were like, what's it going to be? Is it going to be Knight? Oh, no. The parents suggested Miracle, and then she actually named it Knight. Oh, those are both very bad. Yeah. Very, very bad. Okay. On the bright side, there were heaps of people of color. Yes, many people of color, including V. Hudge herself, although unclear whether she was APOC in this film. 
her, her student, possibly her whole family, uh, this police officer that her dad was friends with, the poor child. Okay, so the poor man with the four young children, he was white, but at least two of those children were not. I think his kids were maybe kids of color. I'd, I'm not really sure. But but no, one of them was definitely white. So I oh. was like, is this a biracial family? Are some of these children adopted? Did he have some kids with the dead wife and get some after highly irresponsibly? I don't know. <laughs> so many questions. Um, Bunch of extra, that old interracial, the black guy from the old interracial couple. More children at the feast. It was a very multicultural time. Yeah, I like that. That was nice. The best thing about this terrible movie. And then lastly, what would you rate this film? Um, well, I kind of enjoyed myself watching it because it was so horrible. I had a good time too, surprisingly. But I was playing a drinking game, so that may have helped. Yes, that's fair. Do you think you would give it like a four? Um, I think I said three or four out of 10. I think Christmas Prince is like fours. No, I think we said like- Well, we rated it worse on the re-review because re-watching it was much more painful than watching it the first time, which I feel like is probably also true of this film. Yeah. I think I would probably give this movie a solid 3.5. Yes. Knowing what we now know about rewatchability of these movies. Yes. Like three and a half- Old crones. Yes, I think so. Three and a half magical amulets, three and a half knights, like so many. Three and a half horses named Sherwin. Yes. Oh, I like Sherwin. I know. I was like, that's a cute horse name. So not not an amazing film, but a good time if you choose to view this movie. But only once. Don't watch it twice. Just to tack on to the end of this podcast. So this is not the night before Christmas, but I would just like to say that I have a prediction for the baby name in Royal Baby. Oh my God. Please tell me. Noel or Noel. Oh, may I alternately predict that they'll name him after someone dead, such as Richard's father? Yes, that was that's my other thought. But then I thought, I don't know, they're so obsessed with Christmas. Or her mother. Yeah. Depending on the gender of the baby, I feel it will be named after a dead parent. Yes, that's, I think, the other side of the coin. Okay. But we'll have to find out. All right, and with that... Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please follow us on all our social media. Don't miss next episode. We have Royal Baby coming up. And yeah, we hope you have a very good holiday season. Um, Enjoy those terrible Netflix movies. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you to Hannah Oatman, who composed our theme music, and Alexandra Oatman, who painted our logo art. You can follow Alexandra on Twitter at, at Alexandra. Special thanks to Quincy Surasmith for advising us on the art of the podcast. Subscribe to his wonderful podcast, Asian Americana, at wherever you get your podcasts. Want more Romcomathon? You can read past reviews at romcomathon2016.tumblr.com and follow us at romcomathon2016 on Facebook and Twitter and romcomathon on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. Please subscribe and rate Romcomathon on iTunes. Thank you.